Sometimes it seems so long ago, and yet it is very much still on all of our minds. What lessons have we learned three years after the start of COVID? Hey, this is episode 781 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Hey, are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The buy me a coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ready Your Future podcast. Hey, I'm dealing with a little bit of sinus pressure and congestion, so I hope it doesn't come through too much over the microphone, but I just wanted to let you know that. Hey, big shout out to Grumpy Prepper for leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's been a while since someone left a review, and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Grumpy Prepper. All right, so we've been looking at Little House in the Big Woods. We're finishing that up here on this episode. And this last uh, chapter was called The Deer in the Woods. I've been listening to it on audio and uh, on or at, on Audible, I guess. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a great experience. You know, it helped me to remember some of the, uh, I guess, memories from back in the day when I was in fifth grade so, so long ago, and Miss Gohmeyer reading us uh, the whole series. But then thinking back, I mean, it's like there was a lot of things here in, in this book that really can get you thinking about preparedness. And you, I mean, back then, of course, I didn't realize that. But we read all these prepper fiction books and all that kind of stuff, and we look for those little tidbits in there. And I mean, it was there in that children's book. But anyway, this one was called Deer in the Woods. And here at the last chapter, the harvest harvest is over. You know, they uh, they talk about you know everything being uh, put away. You know, and there's you know the the pantry being full, all that kind of stuff. They're starting to move into winter. the The days are getting shorter. The nights are getting crisper. All that kind of stuff. You know, uh, Paul isn't spending so much time outside in the evenings. He's playing his fiddle a lot more. You know, during harvest season, like he would be out the whole time, spending a lot of time out in the fields and making sure everything was put up. And he wasn't playing his fiddle as much as at night. That was one of the things that Laura had, had written. But now he's playing his fiddle a lot more at night. One of the things about this one is that he decides to go hunting. So Mary and, and, and Laura get up early in the morning, expecting to see, and they go to the window, expecting to see a deer hanging in the tree. Now think about this. I mean, well, the thing is, is like when they go, they get to have fresh meat. In this situation, there wasn't one. And Laura's writing, she's like, this. she can't remember a time when Paul hadn't shot a deer or didn't come home with any type of game. So, But Paul hadn't said anything, and so no one had said anything. And so in the evening time, Paul starts sharing why there wasn't any fresh meat. Basically, Paul had set up a salt lick out in the woods in an open field area, but surrounded by trees so that he could, you know, climb a tree and he would have a place to be able to to, uh, get game from. So he goes and he sets up and all this kind of stuff happens. And he's recounting to the girls that there's this one deer that shows up and it just looks so majestic. 
and Paul was fixed on watching it and, and how beautiful it was and all that stuff that goes into it. And by the time he realized it, he the, the deer's walking away. He doesn't have the shot anymore. And so he's like, you know, kind of kicking himself for that. And then as that is happening, a, a bear comes, <laughs> you know, a bear comes and finds the tree in this field and starts breaking apart this old, you know, stump and finds the grubs that, that's in there. And then Paul's looking at this bear and he said, this bear was so fat from, from high, you know, from, from getting ready to, I guess, to hibernate that it was like two bears, right? It, it was as fat as two bears put together. And again, Paul was stuck on watching it and kind of like, you know, looking at it and spending all that time uh, paying attention to it. His, his rifle isn't ready to go. And so then he misses this opportunity to shoot this bear. So, you know, after this, he's like, forget this. You know, it's like, hey, I'm shooting the next game that comes through because, you know, the family hasn't eaten any fresh meat in a long time. So I'm going to go ahead and be ready. So he gets his rifle. He's ready to go. And then a doe and its fawn comes out. And as he's paying attention to it, he's watching it. You know, I guess he's doing this like, you know, life circle of life thing. He doesn't wind up shooting it. And he recounts the story to the girls in the, you know, in the evening time before they go to bed. And one of the things that, you know, the last things that the girl says is like, hey, we, we're glad you didn't shoot it. You know, although we, we don't have fresh meat, we're glad that you didn't shoot it. We're glad that life continued on. And for at least for that, for that portion, for that time. And it kind of ends that way. There's some fiddle playing. I've talked about how there's some fiddle playing, you know, in the in the different chapters, and even some singing, you know, uh, if you're if you're okay with that. Uh, but anyway, it, it ends that way. And so I think it was, again, it was a great opportunity, great to be able to think back to all those memories that I had from uh, Miss Goldmeyer reading that to us in fifth grade and the whole series. So I, I highly recommend Little House uh, in the Big Woods in the whole series. If you have kids or grandkids uh, and and you want to read to them, or you know even the audible versions. Uh, let's say you're going on a trip, you know, getting ready for summer vacation or whatever, and you put that on and and um, you know put it on the the radio as as you're driving and the kids can listen to it anyway if you're interested in finding out more about audible and other books you can go to audiopreps.com that's going to go to a web page of audiobooks that i recommend and then uh, also not only those in preparedness but then also and some fiction and stuff like that but then also other books that i have read that i think are are worthy and you can go and you can check those out so that's audiopreps.com all right, so let's go ahead and jump into the article of this episode. And I think I think it's really it's really interesting. I sent an you know, I've been thinking about COVID. I have two friends that recently came down with it. I mean, just like this week. And I've been thinking about it like, hey, this is like we're we're close to three years, a little over three years. So for for me, it was spring break when everything went down three years ago. And so we're past spring break, probably about you know three or four weeks. And so, I mean, this was, this was like crunch time. This was crazy time for us, at least in education. And there were so many unknowns and things weren't, you know, people didn't know what was going on and or people didn't know how things were going to play out. And so, you know, this, three years ago, a lot of things have changed. And so I sent uh, a, an email out to the exclusive email list and I'm like, hey, what lessons have you learned from the last three years? You know, if you if you think about everything, you take COVID in totality and, and everything that has happened since then, what things have you learned? 
And you know, people were sharing out and very interesting. Uh, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and just open up the exclusive email list. I keep forgetting to like plan ahead and do all the, I'm like, man, I'm just being, being bad with all the craziness that, that I, I have going on right now. I just keep forgetting to like, Hey, you know what? It's, it, I, I need to open it up. I'm going to go ahead and just open it up and see how that goes. So if you've been wanting to join the exclusive email list and you haven't, or maybe you dropped off membership a while back, um, it's going to be open for you. And so just know, be a little patient that I might not be able to add you till the evening time. But when I see that come across, I'll add you when I get home from work. So anyway, I've been thinking about this and put that out there to the exclusive email group. And, and so many great people are, are in that group and, and just a lot of great information that was shared back and forth. And so as I was you know, thinking about that and I was like, okay, I want to talk about this on the podcast. I saw an article from Daisy Luther over at the organicprepper.com. And it was the Senate report on COVID-19 origins disregards the most important question. And actually, it looks like it was in uh, collaboration with Brian Duff and Daisy Luther. They kind of wrote it together. So Brian Duff is, he's the, you know, he owns the website and then also the podcast Mind for Survival, uh, mindforsurvival.com. And so, you know, they wrote this, this article here and just basically things that um, of what was reported, but then pointing out other things. And so this is going to, this can very easily border on the conspiracy theory side of it for some people and other people is like, now nah, this is just, you know, different people have, I mean, as, as I'm going to share a little bit later on, people have so many varying views. I mean, COVID was one of those dividing things that was just like crazy divided families. I mean, families like, like kids told their parents, you cannot come over to the house, right? Unless you get jabbed. And, and there's all these crazy things, by the way, I've been taking my podcast episodes and I've been putting them on YouTube, uh, just, you know, using, using software that kind of converts it over there. And I won't be putting this one up because anything COVID coronavirus, anything like that, I mean, YouTube flags and you know, all that stuff. So I won't be putting that one over there. So I'll talk a lot more freely than, uh, you know, if I was doing a video or whatever on this, but this is going to border on that. You know, some people are going to say, maybe was it conspiracy? Is it not? And, and all of that. So I'm going to read this article and then I'm going to come back and share some of the things that people in the exclusive email group said. And then I want to share a little bit about just my feelings and, and, and my thoughts uh, on that. A lot of them are going to be very similar to what people in the, in the exclusive email group have said. But I uh, just wanted to share a little bit about that one. So this might be a little bit longer. Um, this article is a little bit longer. And then the episode, you know, it's going to be up there probably. At least that's what I'm assuming. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this one. Again, coming to us from theorganicprepper.com, the Senate report on COVID-19 origins disregards the most important questions. Slightly more than three years after the name COVID-19 was coined for a novel coronavirus that infected the world, we still have more questions than answers. A bombshell report that just been re has been released by the U.S. Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions the report Muddy Waters, The Origins of COVID, is a result of an almost two-year bipartisan investigation into the origins of the COVID virus. The group was led by U.S. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas. You can read the entire 302-page document yourself at this link. So there is a link here that you can go and click on that one. Here's what it's all about from page one, paragraph two. 
Experts have put forward two dominant theories on the origins of the virus. The first theory is that SARS-CoV-2 is the result of a natural zoonotic spillover. The second theory is that the virus infected humans as a result of a research-related incident. The information contained in this source reference document reflects 18 months of extensive research and accompanying analysis of these two plausible hypotheses. This document was the product of a multidisciplinary effort by medical, scientific, legal, political, and general policy analysts to catalog open source or unclassified information relevant to the respective theories. Both hypotheses are plausible. The natural zoonotic spillover hypothesis is weakened by the absence of key epidemiological and genetic data from the Hunan seafood market. However, data required to support a natural zoonotic source is dependent on information provided by China, and that is incomplete or contradictory. The preponderance of circumstantial evidence supports an unintentional research-related incident. But wait a second. Read this part again. And guys, that was a quote there from, from the article. But wait, <laughs> read this part again. Data required, and this is like in bold, data required to support a natural zoonotic source is dependent on information provided by China, and that is incomplete or contradictory. So we're being told the release of COVID-19 was unintentional, but the sentence directly before that conclusion says that it's dependent upon incomplete and contradictory information from China. So there are no facts that support this. There are only circumstantial subjective beliefs. The unintentional release is reminiscent of all the other this-is-the-way-it-is establishment fact narratives that have been pushed. Bats, masks, lockdowns, gain of function. The list could go on and on of what we were told were facts only to learn later were not proven at all. In fact, we discovered in many cases the opposite of the so-called facts was the truth. So in this case, if the opposite of an unintentional release was true, that would mean it was released intentionally. And if the true desire is to sort out the origins of COVID, the intentional release theory must be examined. And why wouldn't we look at an intentional release since everything the system is pushing is the unintentional theory? After all, isn't the scientific method to prove a hypothesis wrong? If so, then why are they not trying to prove the unintentional theory right or wrong? It's merely an assumption they are presenting as fact. In his video, Dr. John Campbell, who has discussed the problems of the COVID-19 narratives on his YouTube channel, states that he believes the virus was likely to have escaped due to a lab worker selling an infected animal. That would then merge the lab leak theory with the wet market theory. However, is it just a coincidence that the virus was out in the public and surging, as we'll show later, at the same time the World Military Games and Event 201 were happening? Let's take a look at the timeline of what we know. So June 2017, genetically engineered virus experiments begin. According to the Bulletin, scientists at the Wuhan lab working on a project under a grant from EcoHealth Alliance tested genetically engineered coronaviruses for experiments between June 2017 and May 2019. Among the experiments, they joined one virus with the spike proteins of another on humanized mice, mice that had human cell receptors. In some cases, these genetically engineered or chimera viruses were viruses made the mice sicker than the unmodified viruses. 
And guys, there's going to be a lot of just sources that you can go and link to. Jump to August 2019, virus research peaks. According to the Muddy Waters report, sophisticated coronavirus research peaked by August 2019. Again, that is sourced out. Then September 18th, 2019, there's emergency response drill in Wuhan for novel coronavirus. According to the U.S. Muddy Waters report, and this is, quote, Wuhan officials conducted an emergency response drill on September 18th, 2019 at its international airport that including that included identifying and responding to an arriving passenger infected with a novel coronavirus, end quote. This seems significant. Why would Wuhan officials conduct emergency response drills for a passenger with a novel coronavirus? This, incidentally, occurred exactly one month before the World Military Games kickoff on October 18th, 2019 in Wuhan, China. The 18th of October is also the same day that the John Hopkins Novel Coronavirus Pandemic Exercise called 201 began in New York. October 15th, 2019, vicious flu season noted in Wuhan. According to the Muddy Waters report, U.S. Embassy personnel stated that, quote, by mid-October 2019, the U.S. Consulate General in Wuhan knew that the city had been struck by what was thought to be an unusually vicious flu season, end quote. Eyewitnesses accounts, media reports, epidemiological modeling, and additional academic studies further support October 28th to November 10th as the window of emergence. Diplomats stationed at the U.S. Consulate General in Wuhan have attested to observations of what they believed at the time to be the early onset of a bad flu season. The deputy consular chief recalled, quote, by mid-October 2019, the dedicated team at the U.S. Consulate General in Wuhan knew that the city had been struck by what was thought to be an unusually vicious flu season. The disease worsened in November. The observations were reported to the U.S. Embassy in Beijing during this period, end quote. The important point here is that according to the U.S. Embassy's consulate in Wuhan, by mid-October, Wuhan was already in an unusually vicious flu season. That means that before this date, it had been building up to a particularly intense flu season, which doesn't happen overnight. It was reported on page 6, paragraph 4 of the Muddy Waters Report, that an increase in adult influenza-like illness accompanied by negative flu test results was significantly higher than reported in the previous five years. In other words, there was a flu-like illness running rampant through the population, a flu-like illness that, when analyzed, was not the flu. Again, October 18, 2019, is the World Military Games begin in Wuhan. The World Military Games, think of the Olympics, but for military personnel only, began October 18, 2019. Quote, this is from Wikipedia. The location of the Games, Wuhan, China, 110 nations participated with 9,308 athletes in attendance from the world's military. End quote. If you wanted to spread a virus throughout the world, what better way could you find that at a global event hosted by some of the most transient people in the world right before global religious observances? After exposure to COVID at the games, the military athletes would all return to their bases. They'd interact with their fellow military personnel on their home bases, then the majority would head home to visit their friends and families for the holidays. The World Military Games ended in Wuhan on October 27, 2019. What are the odds 
just coincidence, that the World Military Games kicked off in Wuhan on the same day as Event 201, discussed next. If not coincidental, then, of course, the world governments would want a meeting to discuss how to handle the infections that were going to be spread as a result of the ground zero vector of infection at the World Military Games in Wuhan. Adding credence to the potential of the World Military Games as the vector for the start of global COVID infections are statements from Mr. Zhao of the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. According to ABC News, again, the 2020 source, Mr. Zhao stated that the U.S. Army brought the pathogen into Wuhan during its participation in the 2019 Military World Games in October, end quote. Of course, let's blame it on the U.S., right? It is worth mentioning that the 2020 article quotes Mr. Zhao's spokesman as saying, I'd like to be reminded you that the World Health Organization has repeatedly stated that there is no evidence showing the virus was made in a lab, end quote. That was in 2020, right? Okay, so while Zhao lied about the virus not coming from a lab, that doesn't mean his quote about the military games is entirely false. Perhaps the false part is the part about the U.S. coming to spread COVID-19 in China. Instead, the part that seems more likely is that it was spread at the World Military Games. Could blaming the U.S. be a cover story to shift blame from the Chinese? Then the issue becomes who spread it. More on that later. Going back to October 18th, 2019, now in New York City, the event 201 begins. On the same day that the military games began in Wuhan, Event 201 began in New York City. According to John Hopkins, this is a quote, In October 2019, the John Hopkins Center for Health Security hosted a pandemic tabletop exercise called Event 201 with partners, the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Recently, the Center for Health Security has received questions about whether that pandemic exercise predicted the current novel coronavirus outbreak in China. To be clear, the Center for Health Security and Partners did not make a prediction during our tabletop exercise. For the scenario, we modeled a fictional coronavirus pandemic, but we explicitly stated that it was not a prediction. Instead, the exercise served to highlight preparedness and response challenges that would likely arise in a very severe pandemic. We are not now predicting that the in-COVID-2019 outbreak will kill 65 million people. Although our tabletop exercise included a mock novel coronavirus, the inputs we used for modeling the potential impact of that fictional virus are not similar to in COVID 2019, end quote. Is it just coincidental that Event 201 was held at the very same time the World Military Games were kicking off in Wuhan? If it's not coincidental, that means that the U.S. government and the World Economic Forum, etc. knew about COVID before it officially happened. Going to November 2019. In August 2021, a veteran Washington Post policy columnist reported that at least one of the Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers became ill in early November 2019 and exhibited symptoms highly specific to COVID-19, including the loss of smell and ground glass opacities, signs of COVID infection in his lungs. Guys, I can't remember the name of the video. A friend of mine shared it with me and it was, I can't, oh gosh, I can't remember, but I'm, I'm going to try to find it and I'll put it in the, actually, hold on. I'm going to go ahead and stop for a second and I'm going to go find it so I can give you the name of it. 
Okay, the video is called Died Suddenly. Go find that. Uh, the person who shared it with me shared it from a link off of Gitter, the social media. I don't even know if it's still around. Um, but anyway, go find that video, Died Suddenly, and you'll see exactly about the glass situation here. They talk about that. Very, very interesting. All right. All, all you people who like, okay, Todd, you never go into conspiracies or anything like that. They're like, they're like, what the heck are you doing, Todd? I'm just sharing this post because I, th I think that it, it was just, well, was it coincidence? <laughs> I mean, when I sent the email to the exclusive email group, I had not seen Daisy's and, and Brian's uh, post yet. And so I just, you know, when I saw that come across after I had sent the email out, I started reading and I'm like, okay, I'm going to incorporate both of these things. So again, was it coincidence? I don't know, man. But anyway, so I'm just sharing this information. You got to come up with your own ideas and you got to think critically. All right. So continuing on again, remember we're in November, 2019. Was this being used to show that the virus was from an accidental lab leak? With COVID running through the Wuhan population in early October, this is perhaps more indicative of a person who was exposed in public. After all, the virus was out and running in the Wuhan society since before mid-October. Staying in November 2019, China develops a COVID vaccine. So according to the Muddy Waters report, China began work on the vaccine before the world knew about COVID. Quote, based on public announcements, vaccine patents published vaccine-related reports and an analysis by the investigation, at least two of these vaccine development efforts began no later than November-December 2019, prior to the recognized or announced COVID-19 outbreak, end quote. The report states no later than. In other words, the process was already started prior to November. Governments just don't flip a switch and things immediately happen. There are meetings, discussions, and lead-up times before anything happens with big bloated bu bureaucracies such as the Chinese Communist Party and the U.S. government. Jumping to December 2019, the NIH report shows COVID was already present in the U.S. According to the NIH, COVID-19 was present in the U.S. in December 2019. From the NIH, quote, a new antibody testing study examining samples originally collected through the National Institute of Health's All of Us research program found evidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection in five states earlier than had initially been reported. These findings were published in the journal Clinical Infectious Diseases. The results expanded on findings from a Center for Disease Control and Prevention study that suggested SARS-CoV-2, the virus that caused COVID-19, was present in the U.S. as far back as December 2019. This, that's end quote. This proves that COVID was already circulating in the U.S. prior to the dates we've been shown as part of the official narrative, and it would make sense given the exposure and infection occurring at the World Military Games in October. December 01, 2019. Mike Zarek dies of flu-like illness. And so there's a picture here of uh, the obituary. From a personal observation at the time, I had numerous friends and acquaintances here in the U.S. who became ill with a mysterious flu-like virus in November and December of 2019. There were so many friends seriously ill that being sensitive to viruses due to three bouts of malaria and witnessing cases of hemorrhagic fever while deployed in Africa, I chose, chose to avoid contact with people at that time. Tragically, one of those friends, a fellow co-worker from my time while working for North American Rescue Education and Training Division, died of the mysterious flu-like non-flu. That person was a young, fit, and healthy paramedic, Mike 
Zurak, who, if memory serves me correctly, recently returned from a brief paramedic job overseas. At the time, a local Las Vegas news reported report stated, quote, Mike Zurak felt under the weather, but he was still healthy enough to propose to his girlfriend last week. Less than 48 hours later, the 36-year-old Las Vegas man died, possibly from the flu, end quote. There are other sources out there, and the bottom line is that in late 2019, people were becoming seriously ill with an unknown flu-like illness that was spreading all over America. December 8, 2019. China's official position is that the COVID-19 outbreak began no earlier than December 7th, 2019. January 2021. In January of 2021, the House Foreign Affairs Committee released an addendum to its original report about the origins of the COVID virus. This addendum highlights the fact that both Chinese and U.S. personnel worked to cover up the research being conducted at the Wuhan lab. In summary, quote, the addendum outlines evidence that points to the Wuhan Institute of Virology as a source of the outbreak and outlines some of the most many steps researchers at the WIV, along with Peter Daszak of EcoHealth Alliance, took to cover up the research being done there. It also breaks down how scientific papers written by researchers at the WIV not only prove that WIV was doing dangerous genetic modification research on coronaviruses at unsafe biosafety levels, but also that the WIV researchers had the ability to genetically modify coronaviruses as early as 2016 without leaving any trace of that modification, end quote. Keep in mind that alternative journalists had espoused the lab leak theory as early as February 2020 and were harshly quashed. For example, the popular alternative news website Zero Hedge found themselves banned from Twitter for publishing a conspiracy theory and doxing a Chinese scientist. In fact, the information about the scientist that they shared was his publicly available CV. Jumping to August 24, 2022. A Bulletin of Atomic Scientist article titled NIH to terminate part of the EcoHealth Alliance grant after its Wuhan partners refused to deliver information on coronaviruses studied was published. Quote, between June 2017 and May 2019, scientists working on EcoHealth's grant tested genetically engineered coronaviruses with the backbone of one virus and the spike proteins which bind to host cells of another on mice that expressed human cell receptors. In one case, the NIH reported last fall one of the chimeric viruses caused mice to become sicker. EcoHealth reports show that in the infection experiments conducted in years four and five of the grant, chimeric viruses re replicated faster in mice lungs and killed a higher percentage of mice than the unmodified virus, end quote. The NIH is the National Institute of Health, which is part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. If the NIH is able to terminate EcoHealth's grant, then this shows that the EcoHealth was funded, at least in part, by the U.S. government. Jump to Jan January 25, 2023. U.S. Department of Health and Human Service offices of the Inspector General issued a report titled, The National Institute of Health and EcoHealth Alliance Did Not Effectively Monitor Awards and Subawards, Resulting in Missed Opportunities to Oversee Research and Other Deficiencies. The audit's first paragraph confirms that the U.S. National Institute of Health did fund EcoHealth Alliance through grants. It shows in paragraph 4 that EcoHealth sent funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It also shows that EcoHealth directly funded the Wuhan Institute of Virology's study of coronaviruses. In effect, the U.S. government, through grants from the NIH, funded the coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. 
We're moving to February 2023. The Department of Energy, which has 17 of its own bio-research facilities, believes the COVID-19 came from a lab. In the DOE's assessment, COVID originated in a lab. This serves as further confirmation of the findings in the House Foreign Affairs Committee August 2021 addendum to its report on the origins of COVID-19, which concluded that a preponderance of the evidence shows the COVID-19 pandemic was most likely caused by a lab leak at Wuhan Area Research Institute. Dr. John Campbell states that DOE has 17 biological laboratories, including bioresearch labs throughout the U.S. This is confirmed by this DOE website. Staying with February 2023, adding to the U.S. government admitting the virus came from a lab in the February of 2023 statement by FBI Director Ray. In his statement, FBI Director Christopher Ray confirmed that it was their assessment that the origin of the COVID pandemic was most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan, China. In an interview, Ray told Fox News that the many that many of the details were still classified. Quote, the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan, end quote, he said. Ray added that he believed that Beijing has been working to undermine the investigation from the United States and other members of the international community. Quote, I will just make the observation that the Chinese government, it seems to me, has been doing its best to try to thwart and obfuscate the work here, the work that we're doing, the work that our U.S. government and close foreign partners are doing, and that's unfortunate for everybody, end quote, he said. So, was this release intentional? It's a fact that we, the supposed crazy conspiracy theorists, have been proven right in time and again throughout the pandemic. Despite being correct over and over again, we've been persecuted and censored for being the purveyors of logic and fact. Remember when the book about the virus published by Daisy and written by Cat Ellis was removed and banned from Amazon without notice? In reality, that makes the people and organizations who push the actual false COVID narratives on behalf of the establishment the true conspirators, doesn't it? These, the establishment purveyors of misinformation, are the people who actually pushed racist commentary about Chinese people. Oh, they're disgusting and they eat bats. Oh, in spite of being highly educated and trained scientists, they run a shoddy lab, they are amateurs, and they sell infected animals. So if all their original narratives have been proven false, what does it say about the current narrative? The notion that the release of COVID was unintentional is, as stated before, purely subjective and speculation. Is it possible? Yes. And for that to be the case, we must assume the Chinese are more slipshod than intentional and qualified scientists. If the facts aren't there, and they're not, to 100% state that the release of COVID was unintentional, then we must assume that the complete opposite of unintentional is true, and that at the very least, the potential for an intentional leak exists. That's called a hypothesis. If we are to assume that the scientists at a U.S. government-funded Chinese-run biosafety lab for lab are professionals, then we can also assume that an unknown, unreported, unintentional leak isn't likely. After all, if the lab was professional, an unintentional exposure to COVID would be reported. Therefore, in the absence of concrete evidence to the contrary, we must examine the potential of an intentional lab leak. In that regard, we must ask ourselves the who, what, why, when, where, and how questions of an intentional lab leak. Well, we know the what, COVID-19. We also know the when, late summer or early fall of 2019. We know the where, Wuhan, China. And we have a pretty good idea of the how to use the world military games as the vector for ground zero infection. That leaves us with the who and the why. No, not the rock band. And yes, it may likely involve the world 
health organization. However, if we break it down into its individual parts, there are three likely candidates. The first likely candidate is, I believe, the least likely intentional release candidate, rogue actors. For this, I'm classifying anyone as a rogue actor who did not have direct influence over the going on in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That means other state actors and individuals who had the motive and means to place one or more people, like the scientists and the staff, into the WIV and into a position where they could cause an intentional release of COVID. The problems I have with that possibility are that it hinges on the fact that the Chinese government is one of the most intrusive authoritarian governments in the world. And the supposition is that someone placed a person willing to unleash a biological weapon onto the world into one of China's highest level, most supposedly secure level four biosafety labs. At best, I believe that's a remote possibility compared to the next two. The next two possibilities hinge on who controlled and influenced the lab. And when we look at the facts, what do we know about who controlled and influenced the lab? Well, we know that the Chinese obviously ran the lab. However, we also know that the U.S. government, through the EcoHealth Alliance, funded the lab. So what does that mean? That means that both the Chinese and the U.S. government alone, or in collaboration with one another, are the, are the WHO. Both had control and influence over the lab. So if the leak was intentional, then one or both of them is to blame, as they had the means, access, and know-how to make an intentional virus, a bioweapon, and unleash it upon the world. So the why. Next, we need to consider the reasons why the intentional release may have happened. There are several reasons both the Chinese and U.S. governments could have been motivated to release COVID into the world. First, there's a distraction. When it comes to China, the Free Hong Kong movement stated or started in March and escalated through the summer. The movement was gaining worldwide attention and becoming seriously problematic for the CCP. For example, by June 9th, more than half a million people were protesting in the streets of Hong Kong. In August, August 14th, police and protesters clashed at the Hong Kong airport, disrupting flights. In September, protesters trapped Hong Kong's leader, Carrie Lam, in a stadium. On October 1st, police shoot a protester, and over the next month, police shoot more protesters. By April, police began arresting leaders. By May 2020, the protest had been crushed by Beijing. In short, the release of COVID distracted the world from Hong Kong and gave room for the Chinese to crush the protests, which, if I remember correctly, were bleeding over into mainline, mainland China so and were gaining the support of the world. So, And it says here in quotes, need to find a source. So just in case you're, you're wanting, there's a lot of source and links here that you can go and, and you can quote. The next reason, which is applicable both to China and the U.S., is power, c- control, and money. The pandemic, as is obvious, allowed both the U.S. government and the CCP to instill censorship, as shown in the Twitter files and through Stanford's government support, Virality Project, and elevate other aspects of authoritarianism. In turn, that gave power and control to the government and their establishment ruler, lockdowns, censoring social media apps, removing people from baking, etc., Financially, the pandemic facilitated the largest upward transfer of wealth in human history and further crushed the working middle class of everyday Americans. It wasn't mom and pop businesses that largely benefited from government handouts. It was the large corporations and companies who grabbed the never have to be repaid loans. The final reason both governments would benefit from the pandemic is that both were hampered by President Trump. When it comes to China, Trump was beating them on the world stage and imposing trade policies that benefit the the U.S. President Xi needed Trump gone. As for the U.S., the economy was booming. 
people were happy. While the left despised Trump, the center and the right were largely on board with his policies, if not him personally. In late 2019, Trump appeared to be on the way to becoming a two-term president. Jobless rates were the lowest in 50 years. Under his, under his administration, the GDP soared from 2.3 to 33.4%. According to the census in 2020, median household income also increased from 62,898 to 68,703, and households living in poverty decreased from 40.6 million to 34.0 million. Trump was a thorn in the side of the establishment because he wasn't controllable. He failed to get us into any additional wars. When he tried to pull us out of Syria and he openly stated the war in Syria was about oil, and there's a source there, the establishment attacked him. The establishment couldn't risk another four years of Trump, so they needed an insurance policy to get rid of Trump. Is there any reason other than his bombastic nature that the establishment opposed him early on in the pandemic when he suggested travel restrictions to China? Of course, by the timeline presented above, COVID was already in the U.S. by late 2019, well before the first news of COVID hit the public in January 2020. So while we know the Chinese government has killed millions of its own people, you may be thinking to yourself, surely our government wouldn't do something like this. One would hope not, but unfortunately, our history tells a different story. We urge you to remember that our own government, and guys, this is where, you know, it gets hard to read this stuff, right? It's really hard to, especially if you're a person who is patriotic, uh, who who believes in the American dream. I mean, I have that written down to talk about a little bit later on, but I mean that that's the fact. So here I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of this, and this might irk some of you, and and you know we'll just go go with it though. Slaughtered. So again, we urge you to remember that our own government slaughtered Native Americans by the millions interned more than 100,000 innocent American citizens of Japanese descent during World War II, deliberately withheld treatment of hundreds of black men with syphilis in the name of scientific research, conducted mind control experiments on its own people, killed hundreds of thousands of its citizens and millions of foreign citizens in repeated unconstitutional conflicts, Waco, Ruby Ridge, and so on. So can you honestly say that our government is better now than it was during these atrocities? This isn't to say that they're necessarily guilty of the current crime against humanity, but that history tells us that it's not outside the realm of possibility. While we have our suspicions at this point, we don't know for a fact whether the release of the virus that upended the planet was intentional or not, but there's certainly a long series of coincidences that make us scratch our heads, even bringing up the possibility that it may have been intentional or that our own government might have had a hand in it is risky business in these days of censorship and deplatforming. But in a free society, questions, questions have to be asked. If our own government is not accountable to us, the people who put them into office, then are they actually government of the people, by the people, and for the people? If this was unleashed upon the world by an enemy, for whoever did this truly is an enemy, foreign or domestic, then shouldn't there be a reckoning for those responsible? What do you think? Do you believe this virus was unintentional, an unintentional lab leak or a freak accident? Or do you think that something darker was at play here? And if that's the case, do you who do you believe was responsible? And then there's a discussion in the comment section if you want to go and, and uh, do that. I think at this point, I mean, this came out yesterday morning. And so um, there's 13, I think there's 13 comments so far. Maybe there's more by the time I'm reading this. All right. So again, that is, 
it's hard, right? It's hard to listen to something like that, you know? And as I'm reading that and reading that last part of the deplatforming and stuff like that and that censorship, I'm like, you know, okay, so I've already said I'm not going to put this up on YouTube, but what if someone wants to uh, say, hey, Todd, you know, uh, your podcast is, is you're causing trouble, right? And they, and they shut it down. And so, uh, you know, that's always something that you, you run the risk on. Um, there was things that Facebook that I, I had shared out on Facebook back in the day that they were going back like three years later and saying this is un, uh, you know, it goes against community guidelines. I mean, I had shared it out three years before it had been out three years and it was coming up, coming up and saying it, it goes against community standards. So who knows, like in the future, someone would go back and say, okay, uh, this is like completely inappropriate. We're shutting you down. So that's always, you know, always one of those things. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, lessons learned and at, at least lessons learned from my exclusive email group, people that, that participated in, in shared insights here. And what I did was I, I took a lot of what I was reading and I kind of synthesized it, kind of put it together, uh, to, to just, you know, create this list. And the first one here, uh, first lesson is just the destruction of credibility, so the destruction of credibility in the media, in the government, in medical professionals, right? And I think that is very true. And we saw we saw that somebody in the email group said, and I don't share names, but I'll just say somebody in the email group said there was this hardcore push from all of the above, right? The media, the government, medical professionals, that hardcore push was a red flag that it was coming so so hard from everybody. I felt the same way about the Ukraine situation. Uh, remember, I, I had COVID during that time when Ukraine kicked off and I was sitting in my... Um, uh, you know, sitting in my chair, recovering, and and you know, with all of that, taking medicine and 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 stuff, and watching the news, and it was just like hardcore. I'm like, man, this is like hardcore. I mean, they're really, really pushing, right? To me, that just doesn't seem there. There wasn't sides. People weren't saying, well, wait a minute, let's look at this or let's look at that. And it's the same kind of idea here. The fact that they were squashing all of the the people that were like bringing out you know, homeopathic ways or other ways of dealing with this, right? Not just the, uh, you got to take the jab or you got to come in and you got to get oxygen. You got to do all of that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, the, the fact that you remember like in some States, they were like, if you, if you take the jab, you get a hundred dollar gift card. If you take the jab, you get, uh, you know, get entered into this lottery to win, you know, like a million dollars. And I'm like, if, if there was a real, I mean, you wouldn't have to, persuade people to do that, right? You know, a free, free year of whatever McDonald's or whatever there were, I mean, different places were doing different things. Like you don't, if this was legit, you wouldn't have to force people to, to, to do it. You know, I remember that there was a disconnect because you had the black lives matter situation going on, but then the African-American community wasn't taking the jab. And so you had like this this inside conflict there. I remember reading about that as well. And so that destruction of credibility where, I mean, I went to school, my, my degree is in communications. I had a lot of journalism and we talked about, you know, back in the day, it was like, you just present the facts. You don't give your opinion. And like nowadays it's all opinion. It's all opinion and they can squash whatever they want. They, you know, they can, they can, they can kill your, uh, your, 
the algorithm, right. To, to get you like to, to get anywhere out there to where you can get any kind of reach organically. And even if you're paying for it, I mean, they can like, Hey, we'll give you a little bit, but you know, they, they won't do that. And I, I remember, you know, feeling that with prepper website and, uh, it's just, it's just one of those things. And so like the destruction of credibility out there, like, who are you going to trust? Often people say like, Hey, does anybody know a doctor who, looks at things this way does anyone know a doctor who you know who's not going to just try to pump me up with medicine but is really going to talk me through uh you know what the situation is and how i might be able to fix this naturally or you know with with you know changing some habits or whatever that might be so the other thing is you know when we we talk about government somebody said the response of the government might become a bigger problem than the actual problem. And so you see there were some big differences in how states opened up. You know, the state of Texas was opening up a lot faster than other states. And that was putting pressure on the other states. You know, it's like, okay, so there's issues in every state and every state has their own problems and all that kind of stuff. Right. But that was one of those things is like the, the government's response was a bigger, a bigger problem than the actual problem. And not to, not to diminish the fact that there, there wasn't people who were hurt by this. There, there wasn't deaths. I mean, I know of people who lost family members. My, my daughter-in-law lost her grandfather, you know, and, uh, it was one of those things. I think someone will, I'll talk about that here in just a minute, but, um, you know, they weren't able to say goodbye in person. He was in the hospital with COVID when he passed away. And that is, that's tough. There's a lot of people that went through that. A lot of people in nursing homes that, you know, the family members who lost people that lived in nursing homes, they weren't able to see them and they, and they lost it. I mean, it, it was a legit situation, but was it made, was a problem made bigger by the way that it was handled? And then someone else said also, this, I, the same person said, the ease to restrict movement and isolate citizens. So easy to lock down and say, hey, okay, we're, we're shutting down, we're closing down, right? And then remember even like going to Walmart. Think about like going to Walmart and when it's like, you could only go in and get food. You couldn't go buy, you remember this? You couldn't go get seeds, garden seeds. People were, you know, locked down at home and they were doing all different kinds of projects. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and build a garden. You couldn't even get garden seeds. I mean, what, what's that? I mean, you're already there at Walmart. Why can't you go get garden seeds? It just didn't make any sense to, to, to do stuff like that. And it was just this ease to restrict. You remember in California, I mean, there was a lot of that, you know, mom and pop stores closing down, but the bigger, bigger stores were able to stay open. You know, this, the article kind of already touched on that. Another lesson learned that was shared is, um, people said I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was. Now the same person said, I, I, it, 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 it changed me, right? I'm a lot better prepared now, but I wasn't as prepared as I thought. And there's some of you that are listening to this and you probably went through the same situation. I wasn't as prepared as I thought. I thought I was prepared. I thought I was in preparedness. I thought I had these plans. I thought I was, I was good to go. And I wasn't, or I wasn't, I wasn't as prepared for the scenario, the way it went down. And some of you are listening because of COVID and the pandemic. I know, I know my numbers went up during that time, right? And people, people came into preparedness because of that. They finally saw, and people who can think critically, 
people who can look at you know look at the horizon and see what is happening and make decisions and it's like hey okay i see what is happening i need to i need to make some changes for myself to take care of myself and my family someone said one of the lessons was it was a blessing for the family and again this person said i know that there there was harm done and i know people lost family members but it was a blessing to be able to work from home and this person continues to work from home and 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 because of that they were able to spend more time they spent more time with family in those 3 years and were able to build uh you know on 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 that and have family time than in ever before i remember talking and we this came up just recently because we had an event that my team sponsored and it was the first time that we are face to face since since COVID, and you know we COVID came up. You know we, we were at lunch and COVID came up, and uh, one of my one of my coaches was talking about yeah. I mean it was a great time for family. They they took bike rides together. You know they they spent a lot of time playing games together. They did those kinds of things, and it was a great time for family. One of the other things someone said that they learned was uh, they learned how fragile our supply chain is. Now we talk about that in the preparedness community a lot. We talked about we talk about the just in time, uh, you know, system and and all of that and how you know any little hiccup can can cause uh, a break in it. But people saw that in real life. Then it wasn't just somebody writing it in an article or talking about it in a video. It wasn't theory. It was they saw it in real life when they went to the grocery stores and shelves were empty uh, and they were empty on a regular basis or they couldn't get what they normally were able to get. At different stores were, and I've talked about that back in the day. You know, I was going to this little family store here, and I finally started going to a bigger, uh, you know, chain HEB, which is all over Texas. And you know, they had so much more. I think the bigger stores were able to bring in more. I mean, they had more connections and they had more buyers and more money, and so they're able to buy, bring in more than the smaller mom and pop stores. That that small store that I'm talking about is still there. But the bigger store was able to bring in so much more. So, you know, the lesson learned was how fragile our supply chain is. You know, the next one is working out menus to prepare meals without having to go to the grocery store as long as possible. This was something that someone that actually a couple of people talked about is, you know, being able to cook more and cook better, learning how to cook, uh, you know, working out the menus, looking at what you have in the pantry, like, okay, hey, how can I make a meal out of this instead of having to go to the grocery store? Because I'm trying to limit and, and to go to the grocery store. And so working out menus and, and all those different kinds of things. I mean, people learned how to cook a whole lot better uh, there. Hopefully, hopefully they did, you know, um, people someone said they learned a lot about people, right? This situation brought out a lot. And so you got to see the true colors of, of people and, and how they truly act. You start, you start ruining people's day and in, in, in life and, and, and you start, you know, messing with all of that and you start to see this, you know, it kind of people keep it together, but you start messing with it. You're messing with them is like that stuff bubbles to the top. And again, I already mentioned this, but families turned against each other. There are so many people that I know. I'm not joking. So many people that I know, you know, older people who have kids, uh, who have you know grandkids, and they were not allowed to go visit them. People in the in the exclusive email group, people that I know that I work with, it's like my kids would not let me go over unless I had the job, you know. And you know, people who did not spend holidays together and and all of that kind of stuff, they're just so different. You go from not, you know, from having big family holidays to like nothing, 
right? It's like, okay, is it even worth it to cook a, a holiday meal or are we just going to, you know, throw a pizza in the oven or are we just going to, you know, make some, you know, whatever we have here or our preparedness meals and, and, and kind of go from there. It helped to understand and see how people react in certain scenarios and how different they are from in, in, in real life. You know, uh, we saw all those media reports of people, uh, you know, upset at the grocery stores and people acting crazy. And the thing is, is that people got angry and they stayed angry. It, it's like the stress and the craziness of that time has just continued. You would think like with everything opening up and everything going back to quote unquote normal that we would, you know, see some of that. But man, I see angry people like they're still angry out there, people that are angry. And then, of course, the economy doesn't help with that. And all the the, the chaos that we have doesn't doesn't uh, help with that. And it's like things have not settled down. And to be honest with you, I don't think things will s- settle down. Um, someone said hygiene and staying healthy is so important. I completely agree. I think that is one of the, the biggest prep things that we can do is to manage our health and to make sure that we are staying healthy and getting the things that we need. I, you know, we, we talk about food and water and all those kinds of things. What good is that if you, you know, in the middle of a scenario, you die of a heart attack because you're not healthy enough to be able to, to, to do that or you're stressed, you're not able to manage your stress and you go off the deep end. So managing your, your health, your hygiene, your, your, and staying healthy, not just physically, but mentally, spiritually is so, so important. I already mentioned this one, but not being able to say goodbye to loved ones in person. I mean, someone, someone in the in in the exclusive email group had that situation, like they weren't able to thank goodness for nurses, all right, those nurses that were there that that they knew what was happening, what was going on, and that family members weren't there, and they gave out their phone numbers and were able to connect, you know, like with FaceTime and video, and and allowed family members to talk to each other when when they didn't have that technology in in the hospitals right and able to do that and so so grateful for those those nurses and and doctors that were able to do that if you if you had that experience and you still have that nurses uh, or that medical professionals number you know maybe just reaching out to them and say it's been three years or it's been two years or whatever i just want to say thank you again you know um because because you you were given that opportunity so many people weren't even given that opportunity they were just given a phone call it's like hey your 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 mom your dad your your grandfather whatever passed away you know and and they were all by themselves in in the hospital or in the nursing home or wherever they were at and so you know that that's a, that was a that was a crazy thing there that that happened there that that shouldn't happen right someone who is is a, a teacher it was lonely to teach kids from an empty classroom so kids were kids were in the, their homes uh, but teachers had to go into their classrooms and you know they had their technology there and usually better internet depending on your school district but they had to teach from there and how lonely it was to be able to interact because even when you're still going you're still you know people were still staying away from each other you know on campuses and things like that she mentioned the learning deficits were shocking i can't remember if i bring this up here or not but one of the things is think about this so if you're a kindergartner you're you're a kindergartner when covid starts and then you go, you know, there's three years, first grade, second, second grade, you know, kinder, first and second. You go into third grade, never going into a classroom before. We had that situation. Now, of course, here in, in Texas, we opened up a lot sooner. We were shut down that first, that, that, 
you know, that, that end of uh, the 2019-2020 school year. And then when we came back in, in, in August, we gave people the, the choice. You can, you can do face-to-face or you can do virtual. So every teacher had to do face-to-face and virtual in my school district at the same time. That is absolutely nuts. The things that they had to do was nuts, right? So you had that situation. So you had students that came back. I mean, basically, they were only out of school for you know March, April, May. So they were out three months. And so a lot of students did come back. You know, we had probably half came back uh, when, when, when we opened up, uh, you know, in, in the fall, but there was a lot of students that didn't. And a lot of parents, you know, we don't fault them because they had, you know, people with, uh, with their immune systems were uh, weakened immune systems and, uh, or immune health, you know, issues. And so you understand that, you know, like you get sick, you, 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 there's a good chance you're going to die, or there's a family member that, that is in that situation. So there were some people who did not want to go back, but so Texas opened up a lot sooner and other States opened up a lot sooner. In fact, I I heard of, there was one school district not too far from Houston that never shut down. And so I thought that was kind of interesting, but you had other, other States that shut down, like completely shut down, like virtual everything for three years. So those kids who started kindergarten, kindergarten, first, second, never went you know, never had class in a uh, for sure classroom, like a, a, a real classroom. And the kinder first and second are very heavy formative years in education. Guys, we're going to have whole generations that are have deficits. And you can always catch up. You can always do those kinds of things. I, I know there's a lot of people out there that homeschool and you have different ideas of public education. And, and remember, every school district is going to be different. Every state is going to be different. Um, you, we hear about teachers and the negative, you know, teachers that are out there and I get it. And I've seen some of those and they're just like, it, it's disturbing to see some of that stuff that's happening, but that's not my experience where I'm at. And so, you know, we have people that, that just care so much. They're going to, they're going to help these kids as much as possible, but it's there's, there's learning gaps. There's deficits are shocking, right. To, to, to get that, those formative years of, of, you know, not only just the education piece, but the socialization as well. And you have behavior problems at the wazoo, you know, on, on campuses because students just don't know how to, how to act, how to share, how to, how to interact with each other. And so that's, that's a big, big problem. Right. And we're probably going to see that for many years to come. People talked about, that they were worried about their meds, not being able to get their medications uh, because of the supply issue. And guys, there's still a shortage of meds right now. If one of the, you know, when we talk about stocking up, yeah, you should be, and I talked about it last week, you should be stocking up on over-the-counter medication. That's just the way it goes. If it's one of those things, you know, you should be checking it out and, and buying those over-counter, over-the-counter medications and, and, and you have them you know, like sinus medicine and Benadryl and, and you know, things for diarrhea and, and constipation, all those different kinds of things that you normally, it's like, it's no big deal. You just go to the, go to the drugstore if you need it, or you, you always have it on hand. But, you know, now it's like, okay, am I going to have it? So there's still a shortage of meds, but that was one of those things that people had to deal with. Am I going to be able to get my medication? All right. 
Um, I already talked about learning to cook uh, better. Uh, somebody said this. I learned that my, I love this. I love this one. I learned that my 80-year-old mother's instincts are better than anyone. I know when she said to buy toilet paper in February 2020, right? Like, yay, yay, mom, right? To, to be able to say, it's like, hey, you better stock up on those important things. You know, the older people have that wisdom. That's, that's, that's important to know, right? Like have that toilet paper. And, uh, I guess, I guess, you know, if you, there's so many people that would laugh at that, you know, they, they give me a lot of, uh, a grief on that. And part of it is, you know, I joke about it. You don't want that John Wayne toilet paper if you're used to the soft stuff, but you know, what the heck, you know, if you can stock up on, on toilet paper, one of the things is like, Hey, you know, you spend your money on whatever you want. And I'm going to spend my money on whatever I want. If I want to spend it on good toilet paper, all right, I'm not like going and, and buying it all out. I'm buying it a little bit at a time, but I'm just stocking up on it just like anything else. Someone said their faith, you know, someone said, or actually more than, than one person talked about their faith and how they got closer to God and how that was really important. So I, I think, you know, that, that was one of those things for me as well. So let me go ahead and just share with you a couple of the things that I, um, you know, the lessons that I'm taking away from, from the whole thing as, as I kind of thought about it and kind of reflected, and I'm sure there's a lot more than, than this, but you think about three years, cause there's times when you think about it, it's like, it seems like it was just yesterday. And at the same time, it seems like it was so long ago. And it's like the, the concept of time has, is, is just, it's really weird when you're thinking about this, this, uh, situation, this whole scenario. So let me share a little bit, uh, just lessons that I, that I take away from this. And it says, is how fast things can change, not just the lockdowns, right? I mean, we went from everything open to shut down here in, in the Houston area. So not just the lockdowns, but all of society, it's like there, there's just a change in it. And we want to go back, right? We, we, we want, and there's been a lot of effort there, but there's some things that have just changed and you throw on top of that, the economy, you throw on that, you know, all the other things that are there, war and, and people just like frustration levels and all that kind of stuff. Like society has, has shifted and it's, it's never going back. We want to go back to normal. We want to go back to the way it was. That's not ever going to happen. We just have to know that's another, it's another aspect of preparedness. So we're not going back right? And I mentioned this already, what, the, the way the country changed, the, just the political, the, the whole aspect of it, it was already happening before, but it seems like COVID just accelerated everything. For someone who is patriotic, right? And who loves this country, loves America, who loves the American dream, who believes in that, to see that suffer and to see that kind of wither away, it's, it's, it, it's hurtful. It's, it's, it's painful to, to know that, to see where we are, that we're on, we are on this decline that you don't want to, you don't want to see where it goes. Right. And so that's one of those things that uh, I think I kind of take away from that. And it's uh, you, you hate the term, the new normal, but it's something that, you know, you got to be very, very aware of. One of the things I talk about this all the time, one of the changes that I made was the way that I go to the grocery store. And so, my, you know, one of my decisions was to go to the grocery store early as, as soon as I can. Uh, and so, or as soon as I could. So where we were at, uh, they, they, let, they would let seniors, seniors go in, you know, an hour early before the store really would open up so that, um, you know, when we were in the midst of the lockdown, so that they could go in there and they would be free to walk around and not be, uh, you know, with, uh, with a lot of crowd. 
So I would go right after that and there was still, there was nobody there, you know? And so I, I kind of continued that. So I don't sleep late regularly anymore. Like I, my, my only day to sleep late would, would have been Saturday, you know? And there are some times where I sleep a little bit later, but you know, when you're older, your body starts hurting. He's like, it's not worth it to try to sleep, you know, longer or stay in bed longer. I mean, I, I have kids who can stay in bed like all day if they wanted to. Like, I don't know how they do it. I mean, for me, if I'm in bed like an hour after normal time, it's like my, my body starts aching. So I don't sleep late regularly, but going, going to, you know, early Saturday morning, going to the grocery store. Uh, it's funny because there's regulars there. It's like other people are either have the same habit and maybe they've always done it, or maybe COVID did the same thing for them as well. But it's regulars. Like you see them, you, you, you know them. Like, I don't know them by name, but we see them by, see them by face. And we're like, Hey, good morning. You, you see them when you're passing them in the, uh, in the aisles and everything, you know? And, uh, so I, and, and I'll, I'm never going to change that. You know, I get everything I need when I go early in the morning. Um, sometimes the, the meat isn't always out, but I've, you know, like if I wanted a specialty type of meat, but everything that I've wanted is is out, and I don't have to navigate around people. And I, you know, it's not because of of COVID or anything else like that. It's just because it's more convenient to get in and out. I'm like I try. I mean, I'm, sometimes I'm like racing through the aisles. I know exactly where everything is. I'm like I'm, and I make my list, and I'm like boom, 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 boom. I know where I'm at, and I'm out. You know, because I I just don't want to be in there. And the other day, I, uh, I I didn't go right. I had something in the morning that I needed to do, so I didn't go to the grocery store. And I went later on. It was like it, it wasn't even late. It was like 10, 10 o'clock in the morning. And there were so many people there, and like waiting for baskets and people to get out of the way. And it was like I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. Like if if I like don't miss going to the grocery store early in the morning, just so you don't have to deal with all of that. You know, like I'm not one to go to to the mall either. You know, it's like I just want to get in, get out. Uh, you know, and again, it's not because of the people, and I don't want to be around people. You know, because of the breathing and germs and all that. It's just I don't I don't want to be around. I just want to get in, get out. So anyway, um, I want to, I want to go back to that immune system and the health. I had said that before somebody in the exclusive email group had, had mentioned that. And I completely believe that, um, especially after getting sick, it was, it was like, okay, I, I know I need to get, uh, make sure that my immune health is, is better. And, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm taking care of. So I don't believe in, in the mask. I don't wear masks. There's still people that are wearing masks all over the place. You know, it was, uh, I saw a funny picture, a meme that somebody had put out and I can't remember where it was, but it was like, for all of you people who wore masks outside, this is the new safety seatbelt, you know, so that you could be safe when you're outdoors. And basically it's a seatbelt. Like you just kind of wear it around your, your body. Oh my gosh. It was so hilarious. But anyway, it's like, you know, there's still people that do that. I mean, I give as soon as we could do away with the mask, I was doing away with it. But I do believe in not touching like high traffic areas. So like when when I am walking and I hit a door, I try to have like notepads, especially when I'm walking to the other side of the building. And I know I'm going to go through a couple of doors that I need to open. I take some notepads with me and I just, you know, tear off a piece of paper or a napkin or whatever. And I use that to open the door just because I don't want to use hand sanitizer. All right. And just because I don't want to continue washing my hands. I don't like the, the the feel of hand sanitizer, at least some of them. Some of them dry pretty quickly and they're okay, or the smell of it. I'd rather wash my hands, but sometimes I was like washing my hands all the time. So I just rather just use that. And so I'm a little bit more cognizant of that, you know, touching things that are high traffic, things that people are going to be touching and just trying to be careful there. 
But the other thing is like I started seeing a wellness doctor that looks at your, your whole, you know, everything. Like they do blood work. Like a lot of the times when you go to a doctor, they will, and you tell them, hey, I'm feeling this. They will, they have an idea, right? They have a, a, a hypothesis, I guess, to use some of the language that we read in this article. And they'll do blood work for that specific thing. So this wellness doctor does blood, the blood work. And it's like, they take like six vials of blood at, at a time, but they do it and they check everything. And in it, they were able to find some things like, hey, you're not feeling any effects of this right now, but this is going to be a problem a little bit later on in your life. We need to go ahead and deal with this. And like one of them is, I can't remember what it is, but one of the things that I've got dementia on both sides of the, of the family. So my, my grandmother died of Alzheimer's. My mom has the same thing that Bruce Willis has, that lagnopenia, the frontal lobe thing right now. And uh, I'll tell you, dementia sucks, man. It's like the worst, worst thing ever. But, um, you know, I have that on both sides of the family and I'm like, okay, am I doomed? You know, I got on my mom's side, I got on my dad's side. And, uh, so one of those things and I can't remember what it is, I have it written down. I'm not very good. I didn't, I didn't commit it to memory, but it's like, Hey, this number is like super high Todd, like really high double digits. And it's supposed to be like three or four or something along those lines. And so we need to get this down, you know, because it, right now there's no, there's no effects of it, but this is, it deals with the mental, uh, mental health and, that, and then the cognition level, your brain health later on down in life. And that's what can cause dementia and Alzheimer's and things. If you don't, if you don't deal with it, if you don't bring that down and then other things like the vitamin D deficiencies, you know, it's like, there's so many people that are deficient in vitamin D's. And when you look at vitamin D bottles, they're like, you know, 10,000 milligrams or whatever. It's like, man, for the most part, and it's not water soluble. So people are always like, Hey, be careful about it. But most people are deficient in it. And so, you know, one of those things is like, Hey, you got it. You got to make sure. And so I, I just feel better, you know, and, and making sure that I'm, I'm losing weight, making sure that uh, I'm able to, you know, I'm, you know, 50 years old being able to, to last a lot longer because this is the time frame. The, the, this is the year where you need to be dealing with that, you know, the, the, this time frame, because you get a little bit older, some things happen and they're kind of stuck. You don't, re, you can't reverse those things. So now's the time to start dealing with it. So I believe that health is so important and uh, working on your health. And then, you know, I, there's a lot of stress and I'm trying to deal with that stress and deal with all of that. But that is, that is important. So taking away that is like being in better health, not just your, your, uh, you know, your, your mental, your physical, your spiritual, all of that, uh, your immune system, making sure that is an all in good working order. Um, one of the things that, that I have a lesson learned and not necessarily something that I've dealt with, but I know I've heard from a lot of people that young people, and I'm talking about like teenagers, 18, 19 in their twenties, you know, are not okay. There, I, I don't know what, I don't know what the trigger is. You can't pinpoint it. Everyone has something a little different, but if you know somebody, maybe you have older kids, maybe you uh, have family members, maybe you know people who are talking about this, they're just not okay. High levels of depression, high levels of anxiety. I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint it. I haven't been able to, to figure that out. But that, that is one of those things that is out there. You got to know that that is there. So we talked about young people that, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade that had those educational deficiencies there, those learning gaps. But we have these people that are, you know, uh, in their, in their early twenties, mid twenties, whatever that are not okay either. And so that's one of those things that, you know, you, I'm, I'm paying attention to, um, the more likely scenario, um, uh, for me, this is another lesson learned. 
the more likely scenario for me in preparedness is that there is just that slow decline of, of the economy and society with more government interference as it happens. I, I'm not, that's one of the reasons why I'm like, stop with the EMP, stop with the, those are all probable. Those are all are uh, possible. I'm sorry, that's the word possible to happen. But it's more probable that we're living in this scenario where it's just a slow decline. And if you're not careful, you don't catch it because it happens little by little by little. Right. And so it, it's like by the time you know it, you're like your sucker punch is like, wait a minute. You look back and like what's happened the last five years, what's happened the last you know year, what's happened the last couple of months. And you're just living life and then you, you're feeling this with prices going up and things changing. And so for me, that that is one of those lessons is that the more likely scenario, the more likely scenario why I am preparing is that slow decline of the economy versus all the other things that that we talk about in preparedness. So uh, not that something, again, not that something drastic couldn't happen. There could always be that solar flare. There could always be, a, you know, a terrorist, a group does something. You know, there, there could always be that, right? But that, that is more, the more likely for me that is kind of solidified in my, in my mind about preparedness. And I know I've gone super, super long on this one. Um, this is the last thing. Last lesson for me is I'm thinking about the end more and uh, not the, not the, end of life but the end of everything more and maybe you've maybe you've experienced that you know and things that i've talked about um you know reasons why i'm doing more devotionals reason why i'm talking more about faith but for me that just seems to uh be one of the the things that just keeps popping up for me and it's like everything is lining up everything is lining up for that end time scenario and so you look at the geopolitics situation of it, you look at the military aspect of it, you look at where the United States is going. It, it just seems like it's kind of lining up. And if, you, if, you're, if you're a student of Bible prophecy, if you're a student that looks at that, and I'm not saying it's happening in the next year, I'm not saying that it's happening in the next two or three years, but things are lining up, like chess pieces are being moved into place. And so it's really like that things are lining up for that antichrist figure to come into power. And so think about it, that things would be so bad, things would be at such a bad place that everyone would welcome, you know, a figure that would come in and say, "Hey, I have the plans for it. I can fix all of this. I have the answers." And then everyone says, yeah, we are so done with this. We are so done with the way things are. We want you to take care of it. And he's able to give you a little bit of relief temporarily, right? And so it just, it all lines up. And so it's just one of those things that I keep thinking about more and more. I'm not worried about it because I know how it all plays out, right? I know how it all ends, at least for me. And so I'm not so worried about it, but that's one of the lessons that one of the things that keeps coming up for me here, you know, as a result of everything and and where we are in, in life. I know how it all plays out. I know how it all ends, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about where we are and where we are in, in, in history. 
All right, guys, well, that was a super long one. I don't think I've done one that long in a long, long time. I hope you enjoyed it. There's a lot there. Like always, I'm going to link to the article so you can go to the Organic Prepper. If you are someone who likes to click on sources and likes to check things out, there's a ton of them. I mean, you're going to be busy for a couple of hours clicking on all the links over there. You know, Daisy always does a great job. Brian does a great job as well um, on, on that. They did a great job on the article and just really when you think about it, they're just pulling out paragraphs, right? And it's still opinion. It's still subjective, but they're just looking at all that information and thinking critically. And so hopefully you will think critically as well. So go check that out as well as all the other links that I have for you. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 781. If you found this episode or any of the other episodes valuable, I would really appreciate a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you my blackout checklist to know what you should do before, during, and after the lights go out. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.